welcome to Spiritual Grit, the podcast where we talk real talk about spirituality through the lens of activism and social justice. What happens when activism and spiritual practices collide? What sparks of change call for the grit we need to create meaningful strides in social justice? I'm your host, Leslie Ann Hobayan, poet, priestess, activist, professor, hip-hop dancer, and badass mama. Join me as we dive in to learn more about our deepest selves so that we can be better ancestors to create a stellar world for our descendants. Grab your dancing shoes and let's get groovy with the grit right now. All right. Hello, my friends. Welcome to another episode of Spiritual Grit. <gasps> How are you on this beautiful day? I hope wherever you are, you're feeling fantastic. Um, and if you're not, you will be because you're listening to this show. Um, I want to first let you know that I have a guest today and it's been so long since I've had a guest. I know, but you, you know, you're probably all tired of listening to just me. So, um, I want to welcome to the show, a person who is new to my space, like new to me. Um, we've been in a hip hop dance class since September, but there's just these layers that keep peeling off. And I'm like, who is this person? <laughs> he's very amazing. Um, so I'm going to read his bio and then I will introduce you properly. So he's an associate pastor at the Reformed Church of Highland Park in New Jersey, where he gives spiritual care to the youth of the congregation and of the town, which sounds like a huge undertaking. He holds a Master of Divinity from Princeton Theological Seminary and a Bachelor's from Yale. So he's an Ivy League nerd. That's just my thing. Um, his book, Prayers for the People, was published by Convergent Press in 2021. Now, who publishes a book in pandemic? He does. And I'll just have you know that Convergent Press is an imprint of Penguin Random House. So it's kind of a big deal. And he also loves dance, tennis, songwriting, and pop culture, which is why we get along. I don't know about the dance, but the songwriting pop culture thing. I mean, not the dance. Oh my God, the tennis. I don't know about the tennis, but welcome to the show, Terry J. Stokes. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, Leslie Ann. It's so cool to have our dance relationship turn into this relationship. I know it's so exciting. And, and it's so funny because I, I've been taking this hip hop class for some time now. And then when new people come in, I'm always like, all right, how's the dynamic going to be? You know, it's like, all right, what are these people bringing into the class? What's, what's the dynamic that's coming in? And when you came on the scene, I was like, I like Terry. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So before we get into our conversation, we're going to kick off the, the episode with a tarot card because tarot cards are a new thing for our guest and they're just fun they're just fun so i'm gonna pull a card and and just ask okay what needs to come forward today what what topic what theme and so i'm gonna look for a little heat signature and this card wants to come forward and we've got the six of wands dun, dun, dun. look at the artwork i mean how beautiful is it? and sorry for the podcast listeners <laughs> I'm always like, look at the artwork. And you're like, oh, wait, this is just audio. <laughs> so I will describe the card. It is the picture of a woman who is turned away. Her back is to us, but she is on a stage 
looking, you can look at the black and white one, looking, mm. it's almost like she's looking out into an audience. She's got four spotlights on her and there is a majestic wand next to her with a wreath and the tip of the wand has this awesome flame, like a torch. And then there's some detail of hands at the edge of what would be the stage. So I, I without reading the guidebook, I'm just gonna say that this is about like taking your, um, taking your spotlight, taking your place in the world and showing people who you are and because you are ready and they are ready to receive you. Um, yeah, so here's what the card says. Badass success, leadership, accomplishments, being seen, becoming an influencer, victory, optimism, inspiring others. So this is, this is what our little guidebook says. Relish the sweetness of this victory. Something that you've been working toward is finally coming to a successful fruition. And it's time to celebrate your wins, beautiful seer. Gift mm -hmm. yourself permission to bask in the warm glow of accomplishment and allow the supportive community around you to witness and appreciate the progress you've made. Mm. Taking time to see your own radiance is as important as making the next move on your journey. Accepting success will seed more of it. Others will turn to you for wisdom now. So step up and share your brilliance. In, wow. uh, blah, blah, blah. We don't need this shadow. Uh, it may also indicate someone who craves external validation. No, no, no. That's the shadow. If, if the card came up upside down, then we would read the reverse. But we didn't. Uh -huh. It's fine. Oh. Um, so remember that no one else in the world has your magic. That goes for everyone listening. Everyone has their own specific sauce. Uh -huh. very specific to them and that the most important person to impress wholeheartedly is yourself and there mm -hmm. is this little mantra that i that's why i love these cards i am worthy of this success and i am grateful that i am seen mm -hmm. wow. yeah see i mean i i read that card pretty well if you ask me <laughs> so we are going to celebrate all you listeners we're going to celebrate terry and his amazing book and um and the fact that he's on our show <laughs> so my friend how does that land with you how does that feel um that really cuts like a knife oh yeah how yeah. come um i would say the 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 phrase that you came up with take your spotlight Mm -hmm. um, relates to something that's been on my mind recently, which is um, put yourself out there for other people mm -hmm. um, in, a, in a similar way of like, people cannot, people won't know how much you care about them, how much you love them, how much you think about them, unless you step out into the light and let them know. Yeah. Um, it's very easy for me to wait for people to come to me or to think, oh, well, I am, I'm like the, the more, asymmetrically invested person in this relationship over here and this and this. So in these other areas in my life, I can let people come to me, but as a pastor and really just as a friend, I think I can do a lot more when it comes to reaching out to other people, um, like being willing to have an awkward moment because I am like too excited to see someone or too exuberant. Um, yeah, just like not not having to have anyone have to come to me. I mean, I think it's that that especially is something I'm working on in my professional capacity as mm. a pastor. Mm. Um, 
but I like also on a friendship level as well. So the idea of like coming into my spotlight, sharing my brilliance. Yeah. Um, that I think that's definitely hitting me where I'm at. See, the cards never lie. <laughs> <laughs> the cards know what you need. They know what message like will land with you. And it's so interesting because as you were talking, I was thinking more like, I don't know if it's necessarily an outreach as it is more just visibility. I mean, I'm thinking because um, you said both professionally and as as friend, right? So professionally, it's more like just being more proactive in, in visibility of like, this is why I'm here. Like, this is what I do. This is my work. This is who I am. Mm -hmm. And then those folks who need you will then be attracted to you instead right. of kind of sitting back and be like, all right, I'll have them come to me. It's a different energy. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I think the visibility piece is, is, is the key. Yeah. Um, for friendships, well, maybe it is just about reaching out and saying, hey, you know, um, I'm here. And it's so funny because before you came on, um, I, I was looking at your book because I was like, let me go, let me go just see what's it, what it's about and all this other stuff. And there's a little audio clip from the audible version. And I was like, oh. let me listen to it. And, and it was that part where you are talking about community. And, um, and I didn't get to finish listening to it. Cause then you were like in the waiting room and I was like, oh, I have to <laughs> I gotta go let him in. But, but the part that I caught was, um, just about finding your people. And so mm -hmm. how, what's that, what's that like, like, where are you now with that? Like, where have you come from, you know, in terms of community and where are you now? Where do you find yourself in terms of finding your people, whether that's people on the friendship peer level or people as in the, the community that you shepherd? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for that question. Um, so I've had three experiences of really deep probing, committed friendship in my life. One was my college acapella group, uh, which was actually a Christian acapella group. And we rehearsed together. Ew, I mean, acapella, like, oh, that's like, oh my God. You know, that's like my <laughs> secret dream. It's like, I want to sing. I want to yeah. I want to be acapella. But anyway, yeah. go ahead. There should be more like community acapella. Yeah. It need to be related to a college campus. We can start um, it. Yeah. <laughs> right after our dance class ends, we'll start. Yeah, it exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that was like my first experience of like, I said, I would say 12 to 15 people committing to each other for a year um, to, to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, to weep with those who weep, um, to challenge each other to grow. Um, and then the next experience I had was a intentional community that I was a part of in Charlottesville, Virginia the year after I finished college. So that was a year where uh, 17 recent college graduates got together and basically did everything together for a year. Mm. We um, had we had dinner together on Monday nights and we sang songs and prayed together. Um, on Wednesday nights, we had Bible studies together. On Thursday nights, we took classes together. On most weekends, we were on retreats together. Mm. So that was another just very like intense experience of community. And then most recently, I had another intentional community experience during my second year of seminary. 
So that was with four other guys. And we did morning prayer together every weekday. We had dinner together at least once a week. Um, we did confession together, uh, confessed our sins and shortcomings from the week and absolved one another. Wow. Um, and yeah, just kind of like had a shared budget for food and kind of just like lived very communally for that year. Wow. So those experiences really shaped my understanding of what it is to um, really like m- make commitments to people. Cause I, I feel like in our culture, the main, the main opportunity we have to have that kind of commitment is with marriage, right? Yeah. And we don't realize that there's other kinds of relationships that can have that same kind of like covenant or vow aspect to them. Totally. totally. Right. So, um, yeah, where I'm at, where I'm at now is, I've been here in Highland Park for coming up on two years now, and I moved here in July of 2020. So, oh my God. Yeah, right in the smack middle of the first kind of super confusing. Where people were afraid to even move their bodies, like let alone move to a new location. Where did you move from? (laughs) Exactly right. No, still like uh, wiping down your grocery bags and all that stuff. So, yeah, it was a very lonely time. Oh my God. Um, Community didn't really, I didn't really have much of it to speak of. And um, where did you move from? I moved from Princeton. So I finished oh, okay. My, okay. my divinity degree in 2020. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So I, I had that intentional community at seminary my second year, but then I had one more year after that. And all of those guys had graduated and moved on. Oh. So I had one more year kind of like on my own ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, moved to Highland Park and had to start over. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, it's been a slow process. I have a wonderful uh, community here through the church. Mm-hmm. Um, great coworkers, supervisors, um, but there, it, the the journey of finding people that I could consider peers and and friends um, more on that level took a lot longer. But now I have. Um, three friends that actually I met in seminary and have since moved to Highland Park Oh, cool! Um, that are around my age. And we've, yeah, really, I think, committed to hanging out at least once a week, whether it be having dinner together or taking uh, banana grams to the bar, um, <laughs> going to concerts together. Nice. So yeah, it's, it's slowly building back up. And I have a couple of friends that are long distance as well that I've been blessed that they've they've put in a lot of effort in the, over the past year or so to really like stay in contact with me. Yeah. That's awesome. I love, I love that intentional community building because it's so hard to, to get the organic community happening, especially with pandemic, you know, and it's like, and when you reach a certain age, I mean, you're still, yeah. Oh, and happy birthday, by the way, y'all, he just turned, you know, a certain age, you know, recently (laughs) we're both Tauruses. So woo Taurus. Um, But it's, but in the age of pandemic, it's hard to like, quote unquote, meet people, right? In the age of technology, it's hard to, it's hard to get some kind of community unless you make that effort and that intention. So it was really, it's really beautiful to hear about these, these communities that you've created for yourself um, and to find the people who are in it with you. Because my, my impression, and maybe this is just like the circles that I run in, but it's, um, it's not very in fashion to talk about religion or to talk about like Christianity or like to be, unless it's like 
the the secular version of spiritual do you know what i mean so mm -hmm. so talk to me about how how that works for you with this this new community that you're building you know mm -hmm. i mean you did mention that they that these these three folks are from seminary school so that's sort of built in yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> um but how do you as a group maybe not maybe not just you but how do you how do you sustain that in a world that feels very anti sure faith organized yeah. religion you know like it's like oh uh, and everyone's sort of about about those kinds of conversations yeah definitely um so i think the fr the friends that i consider my close inner circle now um we are part of this church that i think is pretty well suited for this time of kind of not non-spiritual affiliation um, mm. because our church really focuses on um sort of the, the love your neighbor part of christianity okay. and so we we consider ourselves um responsible for the town and not just our congregation okay. and because of that we do we, we've put a lot of time and resources into refugee resettlement and work with unaccompanied minors um, affordable housing, mm. um, organizing, we put as much, if not more time and resources into that than we do into kind of your more traditional, um, worship and Bible studies and, and things like that. Yeah. So because of that, I feel like that creates this on-ramp to the church community where probably, um, I would say at least 60, 70% of the people who come through the church on a given week and participate in some kind of programming that we have do not identify as Christians. And even the young people in my youth group, I would say probably a good 70% of them would not identify personally as Christians, hmm. but they have this sense of belonging because of all of the different work, the different yeah, programs yeah. that we have going on. Yeah. Yeah. So so the the kids who are, don't identify as christian do they have a particular faith or religion that they are in you know i'm just trying to get a sense of of you know the kids that you're working with yeah um i would say most of them come from a background of christianity is like a family tradition it's a cultural okay. yeah. um yeah. anchor for them mm -hmm. but it's not a personal uh spirituality that guides them on a day-to-day -day basis yeah yeah so i don't know like a lot of them would have would and have told me i don't believe in god or i don't believe that jesus is god yeah um yeah. but yeah they you know participate huh. in sort of the rhythms of of church and spirituality um largely because that's kind of just how their family is that their 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 identity is kind of uh centered around that yeah. so who's to say what will happen when they go off to college or the workforce how much of that will translate how much of it won't but i think my my hope is just to live in such a way where i demonstrate uh, okay so there i'm looking at terry and he seems to believe that jesus is a person who has like who interacts with terry in some way and all of the like religious stuff that terry does seems to flow out of that Whereas I think a lot of people don't don't see those two things operating together. And so yeah. it's, it's hard to connect those two aspects of spirituality. Yeah, yeah. I, and I love that 
intention of connecting the practice with the beingness, mm -hmm. right? The yeah. practice of religion, the practice of faith with who you're being. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm a Catholic, but I'm, I, I'm like, am I Catholic? I don't know. I'm kind of Catholic. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. I'm going through this whole like interesting morphing of my, of my own, um, not my faith so much as my, my religious practices. Mm -hmm. And, um, and what's interesting is that I, um, I see a lot of wanting to connect with some kind of spirituality, but, you know, yeah. like for example, but the Roman Catholic church just sort of fall short on that <laughs> on that part you know it's like i tell i tell my kids like i love jesus but the catholic church is like <laughs> you know so so i'm curious about how um your own upbringing has brought you to this place you know it's 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 just interesting. Like, I don't know where you grew up. Uh, um, and I'd be curious to hear about like your origin story, quote unquote, <laughs> um, because I don't always, well, I rarely come across really cool people in, <laughs> in Christian positions. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about how you yeah. came to be where sure. you are. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in sort of the evangelical tradition of the church. Hmm. We went to a lot of non-denominational churches growing up. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, I lived in California until I was nine. And so there it's kind of interesting because it's not the Bible Belt, but there is a huge evangelical presence. Oh, I had no so idea. I, yeah, yeah. So uh, we, we moved to Virginia after after that and so it was interesting to see the contrast between a place where um if you are in an evangelical church it's not because it's culturally normative to do but because you kind of really came to it somehow and and, yeah. and continue to choose it for yourself mm -hmm. as opposed to being in the bible belt where it's like yeah i'm christian because duh because i'm alive <laughs> because duh yeah. exactly <laughs> why wouldn't i be <laughs> yeah um so yeah it was uh oh, interesting. Th that those early formative years in california were a time when i really did get that sense of a personal relationship with jesus that was hammered into me that was like the the apex mm -hmm. of christianity to the point where some of the like spiritual practices um that are present in the christian tradition were almost like viewed as um, oh, that's that's just something that you do if you don't have a vibrant relationship with Jesus. Oh. So, for example, like um, I like that. Yeah. What What's a good example? Uh, like you're going to take communion because you don't have a vibrant relationship with Jesus. Exactly. Communion. You need to feel him in your body or whatever. Right. Exactly. Communion, confirmation, um, liturgy. Liturgy was like almost anathema in the evangelical churches that I was in because mm -hmm. the evangelical tradition comes out of this revival, like tent revival tradition where yeah. you have like, you know, these big preachers get these big revivals together. And yeah. it's like a, a very simple uh, gospel message of like, uh, Jesus died for your sins. Now come, please pray this prayer to accept Jesus into your heart. Yeah. And then they like pick up and move to the next town. And yeah. then the people that are saved, like aren't, they, they think, oh, that's what church is. When yeah. really like, that's not what church is. That's what a revival is. Yeah. yeah. But 
it leads to the kind of evangelical tradition that you have today where the church service is not centered around these like ancient liturgical practices it's mm -hmm. ordered around okay let's have some rousing music to get people ready for a very simple gospel message that leads people to have a sense of conviction for their sin and leads them down the aisle to pray a prayer to accept jesus as their lord and savior mm. so um that was the emphasis that i had in the churches I went to all throughout my childhood. And it wasn't until after college that I experienced a liturgical church for the first time and oh. started to experience things like saying the Lord's prayer or um, having certain parts of the liturgy that repeated every week. And that was so strange to me because yeah. you don't repeat anything in an evangelical church because it's all mm. about the novelty and the authenticity. Um, and so if, if something is re repetitive, it feels rote and mm. uninspired in an yeah. evangelical tradition. Yeah. Whereas in a liturgical tradition, the repetitive repetitiveness creates this like ownership and depth that you can then use to bolster that, that personal novel everyday aspect of your spirituality. Yeah, but it's, it's also um, the intention in which you engage in the repetition, right? Absolutely. Because if you, if you're, if you're like, oh, here we go again, like, okay, oh, yeah, up, yeah. Sit down, whatever. But if you go in with the intention of like, this is my devotional practice, right? Right. It's a different experience. That's and so, true. and so having that repetitiveness, I know for, for at least a lot of Catholics who are like old school Catholics, they go because it's just a habit, right? They're mm -hmm. not even present sometimes, mm -hmm. but it does serve a kind of comfort in the repetitiveness it's almost like chanting a mantra in yoga right yeah. where you just kind of yeah. chant it over and over again where you come into this place of um this other space right mm -hmm. where you can kind of feel something else happening because you don't have to think about the words the words themselves are almost like a lullaby you know where it's just kind of yeah. relaxing your system into like opening to something else absolutely um, I don't know if that was your experience with liturgical, but that's how I like to yeah, absolutely. paint it. <laughs> yeah. And still to this day, like I can find myself, it's exactly as you said, the intentionality of it. So I can, I can find myself just kind of going through the motions, not really being present to it. And then it does kind of, uh, kind of uh, fit that caricature or the stereotype that I had of it before I experienced it of it. I experienced it. But then if I do go into it with the intention of um, I'm going to use this as a uh, as a way to enter deeply into an attitude of prayer, or I'm going to um, let the the consistency, the reliability of these words sort of like support the the stuff that's more bubbling at the surface then it yeah it has a much different effect yeah 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 totally well then, so here's here's my question it's like yeah this is this is great and all like you had a really awesome at least from my perspective relationship with um some kind of religious practice right mm -hmm. but that doesn't always lead to seminary school mm -hmm. like how did yeah. how did that happen right yeah um so i always tell people as soon as I learned that you could get paid to be in church, I was very interested in that. <laughs> that was probably like late elementary school when oh that God. dawned upon me. Well, so you and really I, liked being in church then at that I really time, loved at being that in church. really young age. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. I would say for two reasons. One, 
just because church was so central in our family culture. Mm. And two, because when we moved to Virginia, I experienced a lot of cultural alienation around my blackness Mm. because the places I had lived in California and the way that my family's culture operated, um, I wasn't taught to perform my blackness in the ways that carried currency in the South. Yeah. So all of a sudden for the first time I'm encountering these uh, expectations of you're supposed to dress a certain way, talk a certain way, Mm. um, Hmm. interact a certain way. And so when I felt alienated from that, I turned and ran to church Mm. as the place where I did not feel alienation. Yeah. So that kind of cemented all the more this like need to be in church and this need to like uh, wrap my life around church. Yeah. And especially like you said, you moved there at nine, nine years old. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like a crucial, you know, formative moment in in your development. And then to experience that otherness, that difference that you hadn't Mm -hmm. known before has to be so jarring that like, Hey, at least I know I can rely on church. Yeah. That's so good. So good. I have, I have all the answers in Sunday school. I can, I can, I can perform the Christianity. Like I can, I can get, I can get all the gold stars, right, I can right. get all the badges. So there was just like that need to be oh my not only like not alienated, but also like to exceed. Yeah. To be yeah. at the top of your class, to be like, mm-hmm. all right, I can prove myself because I just, so that I can deserve to be here. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay. So then when you found out that you had, you could get paid to be in church, you're like, sign me up. Where do I go? So (laughs) it was in high school that I um, made a formal declaration of uh, being called to ministry. And that actually happened while we were on a trip to the Dominican Republic. Um, One of those youth group mission trips where um, we were doing prayer walks through neighborhoods. So Mm. just kind of like going through and asking people if we could pray with them, if they had anything they wanted us to pray uh, for them about. And that was a moment where I felt God, uh, I I didn't definitely did not hear an audible voice, but it was definitely one of the more like um, tangible moments I've had of interacting with God in my life and feeling yeah. like, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm. So in college, I majored in Latin American studies because I thought that I wanted to be a missionary oh. and do the same kind of stuff that I had done on that week long trip. Yeah. And then the year after college, I felt a shift of direction away from overseas missions and towards uh, domestic pastoral yeah. ministry. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. Like I, so I like 500 questions just like popped into my head. (laughs) We got to ask Terry all the questions. Um, So there's a few different ones that are, that are going to take us in different directions, but we'll see what happens. Um, One question that I, that I'd like to ask you is your thoughts on, and then maybe we'll circle back to you, but you brought up the Dominican Republic trip and the idea of being a missionary. And I want, I would like to hear your, um, your perspective on that, because I personally have mixed feelings about that, um, mm. just in terms of n- not myself as a missionary, but more of the idea of like white people coming into countries, people of color coming into like 
preach the good word in a way that felt brainwashing. You know, like this, this is my perception of what, what missionaries do. And it's like, if you don't turn to Jesus, then you're not going to be saved and you're going to go to hell and all this other stuff. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I'd like to hear your perspective on that, you know, being a a black person Mm -hmm. and Christian and then experiencing like in high school going to, you know, Dominican Republic and Mm -hmm. bringing the word of of God there. I don't know. I'm just trying to wrap my head around it. So talk to me about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very thoughtful question. Um, I do not put a lot of thought or effort into creating international mission trip opportunities for my youth because of the attitude that I have towards it now, which is sort of like, why, why would we raise thousands and thousands of dollars for plane tickets to go do work in another country when a fraction of that money we could spend on doing the same kind of work two towns over? Yes. Or we could like send that money to churches that are already there that are made up of indigenous people yes. and, you know, support them. Now, of course, like, you know, Johnny's grandma is not going to write a check to church uh, of uh, Santo Domingo, but Johnny's grandma is going to write a check for Johnny to go take a trip to the, the Dominican Republic, right? right so, right. like, I understand, like, the sort of the, I feel, I call it, like, Christian tourism, you know, sometimes yeah. there's, yeah. like, the tourist totally aspect of, like, yeah. yes, we're, like, serving these people, but, like, yeah it's about us like we're yeah. we're having this amazing like you know global experience and it's going right. to look good on on this resume this application you <laughs> right know? right so yeah oh um God. but yeah when it comes to like you know the history of christian imperialism and mm-hmm. uh you know missions being used as an umbrella for all kinds of bad things right it's a fraught uh, history that we really have to contend with. And yeah. so, yeah, I think in that particular case, the trip I went on in high school, I feel a little bit better about it because we were going to be, uh, to support a local church that was made above Dominican people mm. and really just really kind of like availing ourselves to them and, um, doing whatever the, the work they were, that they were already doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. but you know, still, was it the best use of those resources? would the resources be provided unless it were through a, you know, opportunity like that is the question. But yeah, like we're, my group is going on a work trip to Detroit this, this year. Oh, wow. And we're going to be doing some like home repair. So yeah, it's kind of, it's going to be interesting. This will be my first time being on the other side of it as a leader rather than a participant. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be so interesting. I'd love to hear like once that, that trip is complete, I'd love to Mm -hmm. follow up with you and just hear what that experience was like, both as a leader, but also to hear from your, your kids, your students, Mm -hmm. um, as far as what their experience is, because a lot of them I'm, I'm presuming if they're all from Highland Park, they're not, they're they're not well-traveled, you know, they're, Mm -hmm. they're, they're going to be going somewhere else, but maybe they'll see some familiarity. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they'll see connections. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just sort of speculating yeah, yeah. all these kinds of things. Um, you're doing such good work. This is amazing. And like we hip hop together. I'm just <laughs> like trying to like, wait, what? Who, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so how has it been 
now that you are in this position at the um, the Reformed Church. So tell me a little bit about the work that you're doing now. You have this trip, um, mm -hmm. this mission trip to Detroit. Um, but what other, I mean, you talked a little bit about the services that you give back mm -hmm. to the community, which is amazing. What other things are, are going on over there? Yeah. So a typical week for me will look like I have um, a youth group meeting with my middle schoolers. And then right after that, a meeting with my high schoolers. Mm -hmm. And so usually for those meetings, we start with an icebreaker. Um, we go into a discussion that can be about current events. It can be about uh, spirituality. It can be about the Bible. It can be about uh, pop culture. Um, recently, we've done like a theological breakdown of Easy on Me by Adele, Ooh. or uh, we did a breakdown of Encanto. So kind of just looking at all aspects of their lives through a theological lens or a faith lens, spirituality lens, um, and we play games. So yeah. uh, that's kind of how youth group goes. And, and you get paid for that. How amazing. <laughs> incredible. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the scam that I've been working on since I found out you could get paid to do this. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, yeah. And what else do we, so yeah, I, I'm always involved with our worship services. Um, I'm preaching this coming Sunday um, and I, I help write liturgy at our church. The liturgy changes um, pretty significantly week to week, okay. um, as opposed to maybe like an Episcopal or a Catholic church where the liturgy is pretty constant. Mm -hmm. So um, part of the preacher's job is to come up with the liturgy which could include um, a, a particular um, re reference to something that's happening around the world that we should lament, we should mourn over. Mm -hmm. um, for example, I wrote like a, a litany for Ukraine after the, the Russian invasion. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we always try to, in addition to the sermons, try to craft the liturgy in a way that's really present and, and relevant. Yeah, yeah. Um, other things I do, I get a lot of one-on-ones with my young people. So we get, get bubble tea and I just kind of hear, I mean, it's kind of like this conversation right yeah. now. Just, oh my God, know. where's our bubble tea? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, have conversations about the things that are on their minds. Yeah, um, that's so great. Try to support them. Um, I have some, a couple of different uh, community, like more outward foot facing programs. We have like an after school program that for middle schoolers, so they come and just have a safe space to hang out and, That's and so be good. so yeah. important too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this summer I'm going to, um, op, um, I'm going to facilitate a sort of like a, a vocational apprenticeship program, or you could consider oh. it like a vocational literacy program mm -hmm. for black kids in Highland park, um, with sort of the mentality that we want to expand their field of vision for what they can be. Yes. Because oftentimes if I have a conversation with a middle school or a high schooler and ask them what they want to do, they'll say professional athlete or professional musician, Yeah, you know, yeah, so just yeah. to give them an opportunity to see black people successful in other areas, because yeah. for many of them, the successful black people that come to mind are LeBron James, yeah. Jay-Z, right? And there's nothing wrong with Oprah. that. Right? Oprah. Yeah. <laughs> But let's, I, I wanted to bring in a bunch of black professionals to give talks and trainings and discussions about the different fields that they're in, uh, sports journalism, law, business, yeah, uh, so academia. So 
Yeah. That's so awesome. Oh my God. That's so amazing. I love the work that you're doing. I'm like, I wish I had a church like this when I was a kid growing up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I have another question for you and I mean, I don't even, yeah, it's, I mean, it's all right. I'm just going to ask the question. So the, the podcast show itself is about the intersection of spirituality and activism. Right. And Mm -hmm. so you've already spoken to, so many great things like, you know, programs for refugees and, you know, having the litany with intention about what's happening in Ukraine. Um, but how, how does activism come in more um, tangibly for you in relationship, not just with your own spiritual religious practices, but also in with the kids that you're working with, you know, like, yeah. Well, there, so there's two questions there. So first, your sort of relationship between activism and spirituality, and then how that translates in in your work with the church and with the youth. Sure, yeah. Um, on a personal level, it traces back to my senior year at Yale, where there was a big sort of upswelling of racial um kind of like a a a black lives matter kind of movement at Mm -hmm. on campus um one of the things that inspired it was the uh the call to rename one of the residential colleges where students live Um, it was formerly named after john c calhoun militant pro-slavery advocate around the time of the civil war and so you know, the, the college had been named that for 150, 200 years. And, yeah. you know, every 15 years or so, there would be a upswelling of let's change the name. And then it would, you know, it would not happen. Yeah. But this yeah. time, yeah. like it happened. And mm-hmm. it was just really cool to be in a, uh, a room full of different Christian ministries um, on campus and to see us putting together a statement of support for this movement. Oh that was really like my first um up and up and close experience of how faith and activism could come together yeah that's amazing and so yeah and that was like a time when I was also going through this personal um turning back towards my blackness and like reintegrating it into my faith because after that long stretch of alienation now I'm at a college where almost every black person who's here also got called Oreo growing up. Mm, you know? And mm. so there's just like kind of this healing process of That's being the only to... kind of blacks that Yale in, in, admits into the, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, like even, I'm even not kidding, folks... but <laughs> no, not, like, there's a, there's a truth to that. I mean, even folks who um, grew up in almost all black environments and like um, whether by choice or by force, like did learn how to perform their blackness in those ways that were accepted. Still, if you go to Yale or like kind of any competitive uh, college, there's this mentality of like, oh, you're trying to be white or like, oh, you're, you think you're better than me. and like that would be a whole other podcast episode to break down why that's why that's yeah. a mentality that exists in the black community. But all that to say, um, being around students like that was a very uh, therapeutic thing for me. And I took that into my um, internship at a conservative Presbyterian church the following year, the same year that wow. I did that intentional community program, yeah. where thankfully at that church, I had the support to um, create curriculum around 
how white churches can be more culturally competent uh, with, with black people and black liturgies and kind of black church traditions. And then I kind of parlayed that into my time in seminary where, okay, now I'm in a progressive Christian space for the first time in my life. And I see how activism and liberation theology and uh, black church theology can be things that don't have to like run parallel to each other, but can actually uh, interweave in this really beautiful way. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I would say that continues today. I mean, a lot of the book, a lot of the prayers that I put in this book, uh, prayers for the people that Leslie Ann mentioned at the outset of the podcast kind of come from that place of like um, sitting in my, in my quarantine room during the huge, like upswelling of Black Lives Matter in summer of 2020 and thinking, yeah. what can I do? Well, yeah. if nothing else, I can write um, in such a way that encourages people, my, my audience to think about how God cares about um, uh, a, a rally to protest the police or how God cares about um, economic justice and, and things like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and so that's kind of the personal side of things. And then as far as like my work here at the church, um, one of the really neat parts of working here with the youth is that while these youth may or may not have been super deeply formed in the idea of like an in interior spirituality, they mm -hmm. have been very well formed in the form of it, in the sense of an exterior spirituality when it comes to um, how faith relates to justice. Um, and so for a lot of them, they, oh, for example, a couple of my high schoolers at the church were a huge part of throwing together a, a march for Ukraine about a month ago. Um, they put together the signs, they sent out the, the communications, they set up the donations. Um, and it was just, yeah, really, really neat to see them do that. And they've been similarly great with other kind of justice initiatives that we've done over the two years that I've been here. Yeah, that's, that's so, I love hearing that, especially when I know, I mean, they always say the youth is the future, right? And so empowering the youth, not just with knowledge, but with the means in which they can take actual action feels mm -hmm. really, really powerful. Mm -hmm. um, as you were talking, I, I have to admit that I was like, can we talk about like race and racism and how, um, I forget what country it was, but there's a country that's kicking out Afghan refugees in order to make space or Pakistani refugees in oh, order yeah. to make space for Ukraine refugees. And I was like, right. wait, what? Yep. So mm -hmm. I don't know if that comes up in conversation at all. I mean, whether with your youth or whether just in your own circles with your with your people, your friends. Um, but how do you how do you talk about that? Like, how do you look at that and be and and then just ask like, well, where is God in all of this? You know, and and how do we how do we approach this or interact with this in a way that feels yeah. in alignment spiritually or religiously or you yeah. know with our faith? Absolutely. Yeah. A big part for me is like, where is the presence of racial justice and also like um, black joy and black self-love in the Bible? Mm. Um, if mm. I can find it there, then I can be much more well armed to Ooh. combat uh, things like you just mentioned of like, yeah. okay, it's good to be pro-refugee, but let's let's take a sharper uh, lens to it and realize, okay, we are 
we're pro-white refugee, but we're often anti-black refugee. Yes. Um, so for me to go through and find the black presence in the Bible and to realize, I mean, I have like the uh, Acts chapter nine open right in front of me right here. And the chapter before this is the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, who is the first non-Jewish convert to Christianity. And so oh. this like this black man uh, who actually probably if if that if he were living today would identify as non-binary because mm. he was a eunuch and there was um you know there there was a kind of a, a sexual in-betweenness yeah. that they that they experienced um so for someone like that to be the first non-jewish convert to christianity is such a like empowering thing for me yeah um yeah and so yeah that's kind of the source from which i draw my confidence that uh, my, my, my confidence in, in applying a Christian authority to anti-racism. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I didn't know there was instances of black joy in the Bible. I, I got <laughs> to read it again. It's easy to miss. It's very easy to miss. Yeah. The first, uh, the first opening lines of the song of Solomon, actually, um, the, the, um, the beloved says I am black and beautiful. Mm. And that's just something that Hello, I like. Tony never... Morrison. I mean, yeah, like, exactly. that's where she got it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just something that you just is not taught in a setting that isn't looking for it. You know, yeah. You, have, yeah. you have to really be looking for it. Yeah. Yeah. And that I mean, and that also speaks to the inherent systemic racism that's, you know, everywhere. And so mm -hmm. folks of color have to do the extra mile of looking for the thing that resonates with us. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. So good. Oh, my God. This is so this is so amazing. You do such good work. Okay, y'all, if you are in New Jersey, and you're anywhere near Highland Park, you should go visit Terry. Please because visit I mean, us. like Service at nine and 1115. Terry is or doing just come by during the week. <laughs> yes, come by, say hi, just pop in, check out his his facial hair that was totally masked. And I was surprised <laughs> to see it when he unmasked. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who are you? What happened to Terry? <laughs> um, but thank you, Terry, for your time and for talking with me about um, about this kind of stuff, because I, you know, when I when I talk to folks, it's all across the range. I've got like, you know, witchy women coming in. I've got, you know, Catholic. I don't know what I am, Catholic women, you know, and um, I've got yogis coming in. And now I've got a Christian, a black Christian pastor who's like, Praise me! This is amazing. Um, who also hip hops? Just yes. saying. I just made hip hop a verb. Yes, I did. Um, and so to close our episode, my friend, do you have something you'd like to share with my listeners? Yes. So you mentioned a poem. I thought that I could possibly share some song lyrics that I actually wrote, co-wrote with a friend of mine. We get together once a week to do some songwriting, and oh so. God. I figured I could share a little bit of a song that we're working on. Yes. Okay. Oh, what a gift. Should I set it up at all or should I just launch into it? Whatever. It's you. It's your thing. So you, you decide. Okay. So um, I'll just say briefly by way of introduction that this song is sort of about um, having a lot of experiences in dating that um, have fizzled out and dreaming of a dating culture, or at least a personal dating experience that um, where you can build something long-term with someone. Mm, mm, nice. Yeah. 
Amazing, amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much again, Terry, for, for joining me um, on my show. And so, y'all, go check him out. I'm going to put um, ways in which you can get in touch with Terry in case you want to just reach out personally, say, hey, what's up, whatever it is. Um, and we will close our episode like we always do. The divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Until next time, namaste. feeling like fighting the good fight is bringing you down and hope is starting to fade grab my free seven-day meditative challenge spark joy in chaos by signing up for my newsletter which will be more light to your inbox go to suryagian.com slash subscribe